Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast, Theo Bidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Uh, we ready to jump in here. Mike, do you want to do a little intro? I don't know. Usually, you're, you're, you're the best at the intro, so. And then yeah. we can dive in. Well, welcome to You Wanted a Hit. We have a special guest today, uh, a new friend, Marielle Buckley. She is a singer-songwriter from Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to have you. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about, and neither do you. And luckily I do, but, because the last time we had a guest, neither of us had prepared anything. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're better off today. We're starting <laughs> off stronger. So today we are talking about a classic hit out of 1997. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Mariel's got two thumbs up on this one. This song's great. A song we had to talk about because it's wildly weird and it was a huge hit. It's It's been on my list since the beginning since before we even started yeah. and i think we're podcast. all about the same age here this song was was fundamental in my my preteen years uh probably i guess this song came out in 97 so i was 10 and i have very mm-hmm. fond memories yeah no same same so good i don't know why i have fond memories because the main part of the song is smelling like sex and candy and i think at 10 years old i had no idea that sex had a scent. <laughs> and I heard this song hundreds of times. And I never like fully thought it through <laughs> until later on. Now yeah. I do, but uh, I, I, but I love that song. I don't I know. Oh man, it's like it slaps. That's why it's it's, it's like slap. it's total melancholy. Like before, I think you know. I think that's kind of when melancholy was really being cool. That's very true. Uh, and and we will get into the history of the band, and they're very. They they embrace the melancholy side of themselves and, and are they, they make it cool, I think. So Marcy Playground is the name of the band for those who are unfamiliar. Marcy Playground, not Marcy's Playground, correct? Correct. Marcy Playground. Okay. Um, not possessive. Currently made up of members John Wozniak, who is the lead singer and on guitar. Is he related <laughs> to Steve? Uh he is not. You know, I didn't fully look into that. Uh, I know his dad is not Steve Wozniak, and I feel like at some point during my research, it would have came up if he was the some family member of a, of a billionaire. Um, so I don't think so. Dylan Keefe is on bass, and we have Shlomi Lavi on drums. Right on. A quick side note: I went on cool to the Wiki, a Wiki, yeah, I went on the Wikipedia page for Shlomi, and on the right hand side, you know, Wikipedia, they have that little box that has all the, the pertinent information under his website. Yeah. There is a link for his old MySpace, which if that isn't 90s, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, How many MySpace pages had this song as the like theme music on their page? It might have been MySpace. I was just going to say, I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah. I have zero interest in like actually finding out 
what songs and what pictures I had up or my MySpace. But there is a small part of me that would love someday. I'm sure it, it lives in the Ethernet somewhere that I could pull that up and find out. Oh, it's out there. So I live in bed It's a neighborhood in Brooklyn. If you're unfamiliar, it's a diverse and blossoming neighborhood. But back in the 80s and 90s, this place was definitely more of a rough neighborhood. When I first moved here, I was driving through the neighborhood and we passed by Marcy Playground, which is off of Marcy Avenue. We're very creative with our names here. And at the time, I was blown away because I assumed that, that this was the namesake of the band. And it surprised me to find out that Marcy Playground came from a part of Brooklyn that in the early 80s was, was super hard. Uh, turns out I assumed incorrectly. The name Marcy Playground was derived from the fact that John Wozniak went to Marcy Open Grade School, which was a new age <laughs> hippie school in Minneapolis. <laughs> and apparently he was bullied a lot in school, so he would spend recess indoors <laughs> thinking about what life would be like if he was on the playground and he was cool. So he named his band after his grade school playground citing that many of the songs were inspired by his childhood which is cute wow kind of sad but so definitely sad. not as badass as I thought. <laughs> yeah. like i feel so bad for him now jeez <laughs> yeah man you really had my hopes up that we were getting into some territory where i mean the band and jay-z were coming up <clears throat> in marcy project at the same time <laughs> Right? No. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> for, for years of living here, that's what I thought. But, oh, man. <laughs> but I was living a lie. So our, our John Wozniak, our, our Marcy Playground Minneapolis uh, style, got into music thanks to his dad's old vinyl collection. He started writing music at age 13. Uh, he would later go on to follow the Grateful Dead for years. And in one video, they mentioned that to support his lifestyle, he would sell tabs of LSD and hard-boiled eggs. Huh. He also did a lot of LSD, apparently, as well. Uh, so. Does Does <clears throat> this band have songs that are over three minutes and 30 seconds? Probably not. No. Hmm. So he grew uh, out of that. Yeah. So he, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, he would later go on to study at Evergreen College in Olympia, Washington, where he was inspired by the grunge scene because he would have been in school around 89, 90, 91. Uh, while at school, John put out a solo record entitled Zog Bog Bean from the Marcy Playground, which is the full title. Okay. And I mentioned it because Zog Bog Bean is a great title. Uh, and also because he mentions Marcy Playground in the first album title, and then right. we'll go on to name his band that a few later, which is like really starting to be like, this is like a bad repressed memory. Like we're... we're he keeps going back to it. What is Zog Bog Bean? No, no, what is it? Oh. No, I couldn't figure that You one. just like the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I assume it was like a nickname. Detail I was missing. Yeah. Real creative. I like that. I mean, Marcy Playground will go on to name their first album Marcy Playground. So, in my opinion, Zog Bog Bean oh. is way more creative. So, give him credit there. Are they one of those bands that has a song name for the band? Mm, I don't believe so. Hmm. But we're, we're, we're close here. We have two albums and we have one yeah. band name. So yeah. we might as well. Uh, John would drop out of college after two years and he moved east towards the real Marcy Playground uh, to good old New York City. It is here in New York where John would start working with multi-instrumentalist Jared Cutler. They would form a duo 
and Jared would help John record his first few tracks in New York with the help of Jared's cousin, Jeff White, who funded the recordings. Around this time is when they met Dylan Keefe, who will become their long-term bassist. They, uh, Jared and John, sent some of those tracks to an A&R rep at EMI Records. EMI asked them to play a showcase for the label. This would be their first show ever together. And EMI... Awkward. EMI signed them on the spot because it what? was the fucking the 90s. 90s. Oh, my god! Because that's yeah, what happened. I mean, <laughs> the promised time. It's just... Uh, oh, my God. Us playing sad rock music in the mid-90s. Like, that's a sure shot. Soul Asylum replacement. All you got to like, do is get to New York. Right, right place, right time, baby. Yeah. John was quoted saying, after we played... They were like, okay, let's make a record. That was it. We had never played a show before. They just really... That's like a dumb movie. They just really liked the music, <laughs> and I guess they thought we were good enough to play in this little showcase that it wouldn't hurt what we did on tour. That was it. I, that was kind of the beginning. I love the confidence. Just going for it. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. I mean, label showcases are already so awkward, which is why <clears throat> like, no one really does them anymore. Uh uh, but, unless you live in Nashville, Nashville. Oh still yeah, loves I guess them. that's I guess that's true. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. it's like the but, only show. <laughs> oh yeah, for rock music, less common, uh, and they're already awkward. But imagine how awkward it is when you've never played a show with your bandmates. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> like I just can't Crazy. believe that even worked. Like, was everyone just so tuned in the venue that they were like, this is fine. This is good. No, I don't think so. I think it was the 90s and they were like, fuck it. We'll figure it out. Like, It's good. Sad. Yeah. First off, you know half the label was hiring Coke at the time. It was probably like a 5.30 p.m. Yeah. show and they were like, ah, fuck. Let's go. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. 90s. Classic. It'll sound fine. Just hire Scott Litt. It'll be great. Yeah. Now, this is where my timeline gets a little confusing based on my initial research, which... Uh, yeah, to be clear, my research is made up of like Wikipedia articles, YouTube shit videos, and random music blogs. But for the first time ever, I'm going to pull information directly from a memorandum opinion by Judge Kaplan of the Southern District of New York in the lawsuit of Marcy Playground versus Capital oh, Records. yes. Because his timeline is very Getting well juicy made here. <clears throat> At the time that EMI would go on to sign the band, the band is made up of Jared... John Wozniak, and they have an entity called Marcy Playground Incorporated, which is those two own 45% of the entity, and then the other 10% is owned by Jeff White, who was the executive producer, uh, he funded the, some of the early recordings. <clears throat> that entity would, well, the band would sign with EMI Records, John Wozniak signed with EMI Records as the key artist. The entity exists on the side, oh. but it's not the band key man clause right so uh around this time of the signing very do you know what key man clause is <laughs> that's why that's why i hire a lawyer man <laughs> holy shit <laughs> exactly yeah it's you know what you're a singer songwriter it is not your job whatsoever <clears throat> no but now is. i'm gonna learn and i'm gonna be better for it <laughs> <laughs> well if you have a band ever um i reading through this whole lawsuit uh one of the things i realized was like a big sticking point was that the band, the entity, the three guys, all had the same lawyer when they signed the agreement for the entity and then the record deal, where they really all should have had separate lawyers. So let that be a lesson to all of you. Also, I know we have a couple of lawyers that listen to the show and they always write in, so uh, you can <laughs> fact check all of this. I'm ready for it. So around this time, 
at the signing of EMI. Jared and John, their personal relationship starts to become fractured. And there are some issues uh, with, with them personally, but there are also issues work-related. As the judge states, according to Wozniak, EMI executives and other music industry professionals expressed concern that Kotler's allegedly poor drum performance was hurting the group. Wozniak and Keith... Wouldn't you have noticed that at the showcase? <laughs> well, uh, probably. <laughs> Signed but... him anyway. Love it. Again, Coke. <laughs> like, so he goes on. Wozniak and Keith persuaded Kotler to play second guitar behind Wozniak and to permit Wozniak's friend, Dan Reiser, to play drums. Tension was in the air. This is still from the judge, by the way. By the Whoa. spring of 1996, EMI had not released the first album contemplated by the recording agreement, which came to be known as Marcy Playground. It was at about this point, Cutler claims that senior EMI executive threatened to withhold the release of the album unless Cutler agreed to stop performing as a member of Marcy Playground. In any case, it is undisputed that Cutler stopped performing with Marcy Playground at this point. So, apparently the record label was like, yo, this guy's out. Or we're not putting your album out. Which is what? Yeah, awful, but kind of bad. That's like the opposite of a key man clause. Well, the key man is just, just the, deal, the deals. The deal's off if this guy stays in the True. <laughs> We can cancel any man clause. Yeah, that's, that, <laughs> yes. is, that is sad. I just think how uh, sad that would be for, for two buds, probably. Yeah. Well, apparently they're, I mean, I'm sure all this stuff was, was being fractured as well. So uh, at this time, Jared agrees to leave as long as he is credited as a producer on the album, along with his cousin being listed as an executive producer. What, what, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what does his cousin have to do with it? His cousin was the one that funded the oh, original. Oh, right, okay, okay. <clears throat> the album, so. I thought it was just like a general like, hey guys, all good, but my cousin needs some money. <laughs> Gotta help him. No, it's not a hip hop song. <laughs> this, is, this is 90s all rock all right it's, all oh, it's, not, it's not cisco yeah oh god yeah no uh so <clears throat> that's a stipulation is that uh he's producer cousin's executive producer and that their production company logo be featured in the liner notes along with emi emi along with wozniak agreed to this and they released the debut album in march 1997. However, EMI, as the label, would fold weeks afterwards. Uh, not before putting out Sex and Candy as the lead single, uh, though only one station would end up spinning, spinning it, and that was in Fargo, North Dakota. So, what? not a big deal. But, hold up. Luckily for Wozniak, Capitol Records, which is a part of EMI's parent company, so EMI American Division, the label EMI in America, that's what went under. EMI, still a company, owns Capitol Records. So Capitol Records would go on to re-release the record in the fall of 1997. Here's the rub, though. The re-release does not credit Jared or his cousin and does not oh. feature their logo, thus the lawsuit. So the, ju spicy. the judge stated that Wozniak and his agent rejoined that they decided to eliminate the producer credit previously given to Kotler white and their company because those credits never reflected the reality of what had occurred and were given only as a gracious gesture in anticipation of a settlement that was never consummated capital for its part says that it was aware of conflicting claims as to who had produced what 
that it had no way to determine the truth, and that it therefore acted in conformity to the alleged custom of the industry by accepting the information provided by the band's manager, who at that point was, of course, Wozniak's preacher. Now, that's all legal. They use the word what? creature. They use the oh word creature God. in a legal term. So lawyers write in. I want to know if that's <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> so he's robbing him. He's just robbing. Yeah, him. he's his priest, his manager. Oh my god! But here's the deal: the judge uh, denies their claim. Says that there is precious little basis for supposing that there is any real confusion in the marketplace. We are dealing, after all, with the production credits on printed material of the company recorded popular music. There is no reason to suppose that a single recording has been sold or not sold or that a single consumer cares whether Kotler is listed as a co-producer <laughs> as white as executive producer. Oh, the ultimate slap in the face. Burn! Oh, so hurtful. Basically, so I think, I think the ruling is in, that no one cares. Yeah. I do think that the ruling <laughs> was only about written credit and not about actual producer points on the record because they don't because later in the lawsuit the judge talks about that because the whole lawsuit is predicated on the uh coulter and white want to stop production of the album so that it can be reproduced with their logo and, and their name but this is like mid that that song being huge and so the the judge says like if we stop this like it affects you too so this is a silly argument that, like, you're going to lose money if you, like, the label's going to lose money, Wazniak's going to lose money, you are also going to lose money if we stop printing these albums. So, I think it was all about just the, the notoriety, um, which, you know, is what it is. It sounds, to use a legal term, frivolous. Mm. That's good. <laughs> I like that. It, sound, it sounds like, yeah, totally ridiculous and made up. It's just, like, that is nuts to me. Love it though. Feel so uh, bad for that guy. Actually, <laughs> yeah, your facial expressions throughout that part of the story looked like you were ringside <laughs> oh, at a. Man. You looked like you were ringside at a pro wrestling match. <laughs> Son of a! Oh my god! Well, just like the legal dollars and the smackdown of this poor man who just wanted his name on the credits. No, actually, no one. Cares. There are some funny lines. I've, I've never read. Luckily, I've never read a full like judge memorandum of a, of a lawsuit, but it was. A, Fairly like uh, nomenclature, nomen language, and and there were some very funny lines. So I think maybe he just appreciated it. Like he probably deals with like dumb financial lawsuits all day long in the Southern District. So it was like, oh, this is a fun one. So he he had a little fun cool. with it, maybe. Well, label should assign the judge. He's clearly more talented than the drama. Oh, I mean, maybe <laughs> so. Get, oh, come on, get, get come this on. man a spoken word album. Oh, I'm here for it. I'd buy it. So as I mentioned, Capital would go on to re-release the album and again try Sex and Candy out on radio. This song was shipped on September 15th, 1997, for the second time, and received little attention, once again, oh. until a San Diego station began spinning it regularly, and apparently it took off from there. And it was like fucking wildfire, like a lot of these songs that there's no real... I mean, who knows why, but for some reason... Funny enough, the song struggled and then took off. It quickly started gaining so much radio play that Wozniak said in an interview with MTV that the head of radio promotions at Capitol actually said, we got to fucking shut down this record. It's killing you, your guy's career. 
which is fantastic. Oh, that's great. Oh, the 90s. And probably true. Like, name one other Marcy Playground song. This song was so huge, I think I killed the band. I really did. This is a one-hit wonder. 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they had, like, some other, like, alt-rock radio hits or anything. No. And another interesting, like, money aside that I didn't get, like, a full answer on, in that same article, John uh, talked about his publishing, Mm -hmm. saying that as Sex and Candy was emerging as a hit, he stood firm when his manager asked if he'd be interested in selling his publishing rights. At some point, a company will come along and offer you a bunch of money to sell it, my manager mm-hmm. said. But I said, no way. Wozniak said, as the song climbed to the charts, the offers kept co- coming in. 100000 500000 750 And my manager and lawyer are screaming at me, saying, you have to do this. I kept saying no. Then to get them off my back, I said, if someone offers a million in cash and 750 for my next record, I'll take it. Knowing that would never happen. They told me that I was insane, that nobody would do that. And a week after the song, they came to me and said, or a week later, they came to me and said that we had three offers for that amount. And I just thought, <laughs> wow, that's kind of dark, but hell yeah. And I took it. <laughs> now, I think he still owns, I, this, this article, this interview didn't like go into details. I have to assume that he owns a part of it because there is yeah. later he talks about turning down some like, commercial opportunities, which if he sold all of it, he wouldn't have the option to. So, because uh, he sure as hell doesn't own the sound recording, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, true. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's give. It's like doesn't Kate Bush like that's what's happening with her right now? Like she still owns all the rights to that that tune that blew up, and now she, she owns load everything. And I love that. I Wait. heard that, and I was like, God, God bless you, Kate. She owns the recording I, and the publishing. Fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, it's great. It furthers my uh, picture of her that was definitely painted by Big Boy from Outcast because he's a massive Kate Bush fan. He has this video where he's talking about Kate Bush and he's like, I always just picture her like up in this like castle tower just with a synthesizer making hits. That fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. So she's up there in the castle owning all of her. All, all of her music and her publishing. Yeah, and John Wozniak is not. So <laughs> next time you hear Sex and Candy on a car commercial, you're going to be like, hmm. Sex and Candy in a car commercial? Well, that million bucks he made is gone for sure. <laughs> oh, the second record. Yeah. Well, he seems like, he seems pretty grounded. He seems pretty grounded. I smell sex and the new yeah. Chrysler town and country. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. You never know. <laughs> They're like putting soccer equipment in the trunk and the kids are running around. That is for is sure how it smells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what would be like a good car? Like a, like an old Volvo station wagon. Probably smells like sex and candy. Let's oh, yeah. The Pontiac yeah. Sunfire yeah, no. two-door. Definitely Probably smells true. like uh-huh. sex and candy. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, this is a good time to, to jump into the the deep meaning behind the song. Um, there's not much complexity to the song. It's either nonsensical or it's a creepy love song. And there are a few different stories uh, or, or sort of inceptions to the song. Yeah. So these nineties guys, they don't like to tell you exactly what the song's about. No, they do not. Yeah. yeah I kind of appreciate the mystery. And but it, yeah. it is all about sex and drugs. Like ninety percent of the time in this era, I feel oh, like they in were, the era, that's yeah. pretty oh, much yeah. what they were talking yeah. about. Yeah, mm-hmm. so 
in a well to so the song you know maybe the song is a little deeper and maybe it's about love because in a 1997 interview with billboard john said that the song was a reaction to love songs of the 80s and 90s that he hated he said i mean the classics cole porter the beatles those love songs are so unique and say so much that they will never die but with most of the songs you hear on radio and almost all of them are love songs and it's just, well, snore. In the 80s, of course, it was even worse. I couldn't turn on the radio back then. Even the heavy metal tunes were these crappy by-the-number love songs. So in his mind, this like creepy-ish love song is a response to his hatred of like the poppy I love song at the time. How creepy are we talking? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah. it's kind of creepy. It's a, like... <laughs> If you listen to the song, and he kind of goes into this later, it, that it, it kind of sounds like like downtown, sitting on a chair, sees a pretty girl, falls in love with her. It's like it's weird. Like it could be contrived right. as like a I don't know, stalkerish song, but I don't know. to me, it's just like you fall in love with people in the street corner. You see, you people walk by you, and you're like, you know. And he kind of he kind of goes into this a little bit. So that was in '97. So to me, it was a little bit mm-hmm. maybe highfalutin compared to what he says later. So in 2010, he did an interview with Song Facts, where he said that years before the song, he better give the facts on Song Facts. Oh, right, exactly. I... Well, he, he, I think, right here he might. So it's 2010. <laughs> this is 13 years later. He says that years before he wrote the song, he was having sexual relations with his then girlfriend uh, when one of her roommates came in and stated, "It smells like sex and candy." And he said that those words stuck with him. And years later, he would craft a song around that. Which, if it's true, I hope that girl got songwriting credit as well. Which she definitely <laughs> did not. But You know she didn't, but she deserves it. Absolutely. You know she's probably like in her 50s now. And is like still telling that at parties. Like, that was me. I, I, I came up with that idea. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> if it happened it yeah. sounds like a story oh, yeah. you would tell to be like oh yeah i was totally i was totally having sex with a girl and then someone else came in and she said this crazy thing and then i made a song you know in jeopardy when they do that like middle part where they talk to all the contestants and they have like that yeah. one special yeah. fact <laughs> if she's on jeopardy i want that it's her to be only her thing. special fact she's just carrying her now <laughs> i can just see alex trebek May God rest his soul, saying like, <laughs> I so. and uh, so. I understand you uh, came up with the name of a very popular alternative rock song. <laughs> Tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Dude, Mike with the Alex Rebecca impression. Uh, well, yeah, that not. was honorable. Oh, well, thank you. Coming from a yeah. Canadian, that yeah. means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, true. We, we love him here. <laughs> Rightfully so. John would go on to write. This song in 92, 93, this is after his uh, sexual experience, uh, and apparently wrote it in less than four hours. You don't uh, say. No, less than an hour at 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and as he says, he decided to combine the phrase sex and candy from this incident he had, quote, with all of these weird disco era references that I was making up, platform double suede and all that business. Which I want to say, you know, listening back to the song, I forgot that Disco Lemonade mm-hmm. is such a big part of the song. Yeah, it is. Like, what the fuck is that? If this song came out now, there would 100% be 
But yeah, disco lemonade, like spike seltzer lemonade, <laughs> something like that with, with his face <laughs> on it. You know there would be. 100%. All over TikTok. Oh my God. It would be insane. Yeah. I could yeah. see this song being a TikTok hit sometime soon. Oh, I could see that. Maybe after our podcast. It'll, it'll Finally, resurface. Can get yeah, some trash. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you been TikToking? I hate it there, but yeah. You, you, you hate it. You hate it. I, on TikTok. I sometimes just feel old. Like, you know, I'm over 30. Yeah. So you get on there and you're mm-hmm. kind of like, what the shit? But no, this song has a, a thousand great lines just like that that mm-hmm. people would totally latch on to now. Yeah. In that same interview, he would go on to say, and this is where I'm like, if you look, listen to the lyrics, I think this is more true than anything else. He said, it's just about seeing some sexy girl and then falling in love. And then asking a dumb question to yourself. Well, it's not even asking a question. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. And then he started laughing. <laughs> and the LSD, maybe because he said the flashback. Well, well exactly. Back. So, all right. So <laughs> maybe because he sounded so high right then, he immediately followed up saying that he wasn't taking drugs when he wrote Sex and Candy. <laughs> Quote, I'm just going to be straight up honest. I don't know. I'm telling you. When I was very young, I experimented with drugs. But when I was writing these songs, I wasn't high. But it sounds like I was high. <laughs> so. That, that sounds true know. to me. I don't know why, but it's yeah. totally true. Hey, you wanted a hitters? You wanted a hitsters? We'll work on that. I want to tell you about something very exciting, very important. Our good friends at Dark Matter Coffee in Chicago, Illinois are making intellectually honest, delicious, excellent coffee. And you can get free shipping on as much coffee as you'd like if you go to their website, darkmattercoffee.com, and at checkout, enter the code you wanted a hit cast. That's one word. You wanted a hit cast. You will be granted by the caffeine genie. Free shipping on Dark Matter Coffee. So Check it out. Good people. Good coffee. We highly recommend it. That early article about like, well, you know, like the Beatles did this and I wanted to make a love song response. Like, that seems like an in the moment in 97 being like, I got to build the story up about the song. And then 13 years later, it's like, fuck it. This one thing happened to me once. And then like, I wrote this dumb song and here we are. I think that's all it is. There's like not much to it. As an aside, there is one other explanation, um, which is uh, not true at all by any means. Okay. But in in 2020, uh, things got a little weird. There was an article uh, from the satirical website, The Hard Times. Ah. And I just think it's funny. Love The Hard Times. should read it here. Yeah. So the, the article begins, 90s alternative music darlings Marcy Playground revealed yesterday that their hit song, Sex and Candy was more specifically about anal sex and candy corn. And then this... Of course. <laughs> and then this fake quote from John. I love this fake quote. We shortened the title and the chorus after the producer highly encouraged us not to be so lyrical precise and leave a little something to the imagination, said John Wozniak, singer and guitarist for the band. But listeners ended up inventing wildly inaccurate interpretations of their own instead. One critic thought it was a metaphor for Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal. Another hypothesized it was about the sexual proclivities of comedic actor John Candy. They're all wrong, though. 
It's straight up about two unmistakably distinct aromas. Exactly. Hey. Uh, it's, it's really about two straight up about two unmistakably dis- uh, distinct aromas, butt stuff and a type of candy inexplicably despised by trick-or-treaters, even though I personally quite enjoy them. Anyway, it was time to clear the air. And again, not remotely true, but one can dream. Uh, I mentioned all this because I really appreciated the last line of this faux article, which was, Marcy Playground has since offered up more specific meanings to their other songs, but gave up after no one seemed to know any of their other material. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, That's pretty good. Truth be told. Theo, it wouldn't be uh, one of your episodes if at some point we weren't all touching our faces. (laughs) I know, just like in pure embarrassment of what we're hearing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jokes aside, the record, the song was overall well-received when it first came out. Uh, for better or worse, many of the uh, at the time compared the band and specifically the song to Nirvana. Yeah, which, naturally. I don't know. I never made the connection. Like, like, um, like, the, the more like downtrodden Nirvana songs, you know, and the guitar tone. And when he would sing in, in the baritone. That like you know, really monotone, yeah, vocal quality. I could. I think this song definitely uh, yeah. apes Nirvana a little bit. Uh, Jonah Bayer of the AV Club, uh, who's Vanessa Bayer's brother. Who's Vanessa Bayer? I know that name from SNL. Oh, really? Yeah, he's in a hardcore band that's like pretty popular. I equally love and yeah. hate when I hear about like families that just like all the kids are really creative, are really successful. You're like, <laughs> yeah. really? No, does not him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. That's cool. All right. Well, he he likened it to Nirvana's '94 MTV Unplugged album, which, to your point, I could, I could yeah, see the kind yeah. of there. Uh, there is a good cracked article entitled Five. Ooh, Crack. cracked. We're going, we're going back there. I forgot oh, about yeah. that site. Uh, oh yeah, they had a magazine too, right? Did they cracked magazine? They did. Really? I think so. they did. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, they did. Well, yeah. so there was a cracked article, which was the five songs the internet think are by the wrong artist and under this song the writer says like most of the entries in this week's installment i took the suggestion straight from the comment i had to because it never would have occurred to me that anyone could ever think that marcy playground sex and candy is by nirvana partly because kurt cobain died before it ever came out and more because (laughs) it sounds nothing like nirvana he goes on john wozniak of marcy playground Wrote this song in 97. It was an exciting time. Clinton was president. I was dating a young woman who would later become my wife. And Kurt Cobain was super fucking dead. How dead was Kurt Cobain in 97? So dead that even Courtney Love's music career was on the wane. So yeah, 97, Kurt Cobain was more about decomposing than composing. (laughs) He, he, He finishes. How did this happen? It might be a controversial theory. But I blame stupid people or young people or young stupid people. Only in the most superficial way is this song Nirvana-esque. It's moody and hooky, though are half the women in Suicide Girls. It doesn't mean they fronted a three-piece that helped kill hair metal in the early 90s. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Does that guy have a therapist? Maybe he doesn't have a name. He goes by like one name, Gladstone, I think. That's why I didn't put it in there. "Hmm." Oh, Gladstone. Uh, those one name guys, you gotta, gotta watch out. you gotta watch out for them. Uh, I guarantee 
that somebody downloaded this song from a P2P file sharing service and it said Nirvana underscore sex and candy dot MP3 and their family's computer got a virus. Uh, Yes. But also in that article, there was screenshots of people who searched or like did ask Jeeves (laughs) or whatever. That was like, what's the Nirvana song about sex and candy? No. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can hear it if you're like the most surface level Nirvana listener of conflating this song they also probably think that silver chair is also all nirvana songs i I mean i guess like in 97 like now we can sit here and be like kirkabane has been dead for for many years and nirvana is not a band but maybe 97 if you were like young and you knew of nirvana like you saw some of this t-shirt you're like oh i know i look for nirvana but they're still banned like you don't you don't know you don't look it up yeah, name three yeah, exactly. songs. <laughs> Sex and Candy. <laughs> also, anyone who would like listen to Nirvana would know that like that it would be such light subject matter for Kurt Cobain, even uh, even in his slow, moody songs. Yes, yeah. definitely. Like it's just so it's so vanilla for Nirvana. So I find that odd. Mm-hmm. That yeah, someone would think that. But Apparently young that stupid did. people, what do you do? <laughs> so we'll go back to John Bear of the AV Club because he said that nobody, including Jonah me, Bear, Jonah, sorry, Jonah Bear, nobody, including the songwriter, really knows what it's about. And Pete Hellman of Stereogum called the song nonsensical. However, Stephen Thomas Erlewin of All Music commented that the song, like Sex and Candy, captured the band at their best. Definitely. Turning out hard edged. Mel- melodic pop song with strong hook and backbeat. I'm not sure your song having a backbeat is a compliment. It's just like most <laughs> songs have backbeat. <laughs> yeah. You picked the easiest one. <laughs> well, he Good said job. strong hooks and backbeats. I think he's, he's meaning strong backbeats. Strong well. backbeats. Yeah. Uh, Pace ranked it 15th in their list of 25 awesome one hit wonders of the 90s. And Consequence of Sound ranked at 34th on their list of 100 best one-hit wonder songs. However, not everything. Pretty high. Pretty high. Uh, Not everything with Rosie. Chuck Eddy of Rolling Stone called it an unappetizing, artificially sweetener marriage of down-tempo Nirvana chords and greasy Dave Matthews frat minstrel sensitivity. Oh. (laughs) It's doing a lot of work there. That's doing a lot of work. Somebody... Somebody pulled out a thesaurus uh-huh. today. <laughs> Gee whiz. Uh, Theo, as a, as a Dave Matthews fan, how do you feel about that? Uh, this song is not a Dave Matthews song, <laughs> lyrically. I mean, come on. Come on. Wait, are you serious? Are you a really big Dave Matthews I love Matthews Dave Matthews, yeah. 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 Okay, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Look at me. I'm, 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 I'm sure. sitting here in a white t-shirt and a backwards baseball cap with a fucking lot of blues poster <laughs> behind me. Of course, my Dave Matthews. Yeah, you, do seem, you do seem really nice. It's true. It's true. You're very, <laughs> he's, very he's gentle. Really nice. A good nature. I'm he like, would definitely give me some hash at a Dave concert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Free of oh, charge. Oh, totally he would. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Unterberger of Stylist Magazine wrote of its surprising success, calling it easily one of the strangest, strangest hits in history and as much of a death kneel to, the, to grunge as To Be With You was for hair metal. Which, Ooh, I... that song is corny as hell, but it's kind of great. It is corny, but kind of great. All those hair metal dudes sitting in a living room 
going like this and harmonizing. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, here's our moment. Here's the moment. I do love this line from Nathan Smith of the Houston Press, who said, Sex and Candy was perfect crossover music as it's edgy. Sexual lyrics were suitable for rock radio while it was, quote, still pussy enough for adult contemporary, which there I mean, it is. not wrong. <laughs> yeah, finally. It's like cut right to the truth of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, yeah is, that, is that what happened here? Is that it was an alternative hit and then an AC hit at the same time? And it kind of it okay, did cross over, that makes yeah. sense, especially because uh, when we covered uh, Crash Test Dummies, the same thing was happening with them. Kind of perfect for that. I'm still surprised. Musically, yes, the song makes sense, but I am still surprised that like fucking B101 was playing Sex and Candy. It's just the the name and the chorus line like feels a little bit much yeah. for like adult contemporary. Well, because yeah. at this yeah. time, like Mercy Me was going to come up next or some shit, you know, and then like Shania Twain, like it was right. just a weird. Yeah. But yeah. it happened. Uh, Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop doing stop that. I got, I got, I got more I'll here. Stop doing that. Don't worry. Uh, Nathan Smith, who we just mentioned, with that great lyric, he actually hates this song. Uh, he put it on the list of least favorite one-hit wonders, calling it one of the most despicable hits of the 90s because it refuses to rock and it refuses to go away. I hated it the first time I heard it. I hate it now, and I will die hating it. <laughs> Which God bless God him. bless him. Great fucking line, and that's exactly how I feel about Hooba Stanks. The reason, so <laughs> gotta put that out there. And yet, if you hear that guitar riff, it will be in your head <sighs> for the next month. Oh god, nah, don't do it! Don't do it! I smell sexy. Uh, I'm sticking with this one. I'm sticking with this one. Uh, all right, are those in the same key? Probably. No. I'm, I, I, in my head right now, they are, which means I'm mashing them up tonight. I'll oh, be up all shit. night. Fuck. <laughs> we gonna be a downer DJ set coming from fucking Mike Smith over here. <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll get into the charts. Uh, I thought that guy was going to say it refuses to rock and it refuses to roll. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a, yeah. you know, that there was some like 1960s, like, when you couldn't be like too bad as a music critic, but that, that was like a critique of like some Elvis song. Be like, you know, it doesn't rock, it doesn't <laughs> roll. But I kind of like it because I love Elvis, you know. I do want to say that I am about to crack a summer break from Sierra Nevada. And uh, we, we love this sound on the podcast. So I got to do it. Oh, I have one too. Hey! Ow! Oh. Hey, 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 hey. So. Sierra Nevada. Thank you, Sierra Nevada. Thank you. Uh, thank you for. I was trying to make some sort of pun about the song, and like nothing works with this song. Doesn't uh, work. I mean, I'm sure some so Sierra think, Nevadas just, have led to so sexual relations, <laughs> which and candy. Yeah, and candy. Yeah. Also, I. Yeah. I love that you keep using the phrase sexual relations like it's 1997 because you also mentioned Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like that seeped into your brain. And that's why that's the that's the like PC term you keep using for it. I it's mean, great. Yeah. His debut album here would end up going platinum, even though two of the following singles wow. didn't remotely get the su- success that Sex and Candy did. Did um, they chart at all? 
And coming off a huge song and the next ones don't chart is crazy. Because a lot of the one-hit wonders- have not been good. Yeah, they had like a, it was number 98 on the alt-rock chart. Let me, let me you stop you. Let me stop you. Uh, that might be true. Let me do that. No, actually, I don't think so. Um, have you guys, any of you, listened to Musty Playground? <laughs> Outside not of this song? Not the song. Okay, no. let me send you some songs here. This is where we're going to get into the part of the podcast <laughs> where I just start sending the links and shit. Um, so, <laughs> the next single was entitled St. Joe- on a school bus, on the school bus, on a nice school bus. St. Joe already, on the I, school bus. So I, Already I cannot hear any alt-rock radio DJ going, oh, the new one from Marcy Playground, St. Joe on a school bus. Like, no, that's already a no. They're probably like, I'm not going to say that. No. 100%. Also, you've put Playground and school bus back-to-back in titles, and I just, I don't know how that's going to track. Mm-hmm. That doesn't it rock or roll. Lurky. Yeah, no. So I just sent you all the video uh, so you can hear the song, but you can also watch the, what looks to me as if someone that works in production to be an incredibly expensive video uh, because 90s. And this song doesn't go anywhere. That, That album, that record didn't do anything. And then there's this song. This song is called Sherry, Sherry Frazier. Um, Sherry Frazier is the name of his girlfriend in college. Uh, he was dating her when he released Log Bog Bean. Uh, so he wrote a song about her, I guess. And this song is even more subdued. And it's not good. And the video is haunting. <laughs> haunting, also not as expensive. So <laughs> you can see... Where the trend is Def- going. Definitely no Capital drugs Records. in this one, hey? <laughs> this sounds like a bunch of people's, like, probably people we know. They're, like, college yeah. bands. Like, this band would be playing in the basement at, you know, <laughs> the volleyball house or whatever. And people are like, this is fine to drink to. Here's your beer from the back of the room. We're spilling stuff. They're playing music. They'll end soon. Uh, All right. So I want to get that out of the way. Those were the two follow-up singles that did nothing for this album. But let's go back. Let's go back to our song today. uh, And we have to watch the video. So let me send you the video to Tech and Candy, which I very fondly remember. Uh, Oh, yeah. I've seen this Remember it distinctly as well. It is... To set our listeners, uh, if you don't remember it, it's like a, a patterned animated world almost. Uh, and then there's a hole that John sticks his head out of, talk through. And then there ends yeah. up being this like tarantula that walks around him. It's very like James and the Giant Peach. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like 100, what? 100%. I had it fucking written in my notes. It reminded me of what? James and the Giant Peach. Popping out of the peach and the fucking insects yep. walking all around him, hundred percent. We're meant to be, you know. Yeah, it reminds me of James the Giant Peach. It also reminds me a little bit of like a Smashing Pumpkins, like Save Tonight esque. It's video. like a Tim Burton movie. Just... Yeah, James the Giant Peach. Oh, he did. Tim Burton. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins did not do Save Tonight. That's Eagle Eye Cherry. Sorry. What? Uh, what word? Am I, what, what song am I thinking of? Tonight. 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 
Thank you. That's good. <laughs> also, Save Tonight is a jam. Eagle Eye Cherry, Save Tonight. Save Tonight is a good sweet song. If we were a 90s yeah. podcast, we would cover that song, but we are not. We are a but weird we know why it's podcast. A hit. We know why it's a hit. Um, yeah. Great song. So this video was directed and conceptualized by Jamie Kalari. Uh, His brother, Mario, is in the Waffle Hours. Cool. So, Whoa. Another family that has like 90s rock royalty. Everyone's uh, successful there. Uh, he's done some commercial work, but he also did work, uh, other music videos for Cypress Hill, Soul Coughing, Cherry Pop and Daddies, a uh, podcast oh, favorite, boy. The Shins, and others. Oh, Ooh, I'm going to see The Shins this weekend. Oh. You should ask them yeah, if they I'm know Jamie. Uh, John. Hey. <laughs> you know Jamie? <laughs> Got Larry. You did one of your, your music videos? I don't know which one. I Forget it. My buddy told me. He also did Sex and Candy. Did you know that? You know that? Uh, Play the Garden State song. <laughs> uh, John was quoted saying that I didn't invent the video. That's Jamie Caleri's. That guy's actually great. He's trippy, man. Jamie actually makes films. He did the morphine video called Early to Bed, which is one of my favorite videos of the 90s. He's cool, but he's very weird. He's got a really unique artisty sensibility that is very surreal. He goes on to say, I mean, it's art. What we do is art. And the stuff I've done in the past is not always a direct meaning. And I think that's the same with this video. He had a lot of hidden subtext in the video. Now, John's dad, John Wozniak's dad, is a developmental psychologist. And he had a great, great take. This is a quote from John. He's like, he's talking about his dad. His dad says, uh, come on, man. That's a wet dream. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, through all these, he gives me this rundown of this list of all these visual things. Like, when you're in the hole in the beginning, it's the womb. And the spider symbolizes your loss of innocence and that you're afraid of it, yet you're drawn to it. And then his dad also goes on to reference that the puddle at the end of the video that the band cleans up is a symbol of his semen. Dad, no, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> no wonder this kid had a weird childhood. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am making a grimace face and I don't know if it's going to go away. Is it too yeah. late to call no. child protective services? That's just, that seems so <laughs> not okay. <laughs> they spent so much money on this video and I want to know when in the time of the song they made it because the song failed the first two times. So were they like, Oh, it failed twice. Let's make a $500,000 music video. Like I'm very curious. I hear you, Mike, but, um, you know, nineties. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, know. I really think I that like the nineties walked in to every fiscal year being like, okay, you guys have to sign 20 <laughs> bands. We're gonna do two I'm singles the each. Whole decade of the '90s, walking into a board. Well, like, I just, I just feel like record labels were like, to make, to, to, to figure this thing out, we need to sign 20 bands, two releases a year, four of them have to be hits. But y'all got a 500,000 yeah. budget for every single song. Have at it. The '90s were oh, awesome. so good, and everyone got cocaine, <laughs> and it was just, it was a good day. <laughs> And you were pretty sure that the cocaine wouldn't kill you the first time. But you, you did, did it. it anyway. True. It's just it's free. <laughs> this was a big MTV hit, right? Like that's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, great time. And then I feel like, like shortly after, 
a big VH1 hit. <laughs> He'll listen to that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so his dad had a weird take on the video. Chad, uh, I'll say. Yeah, Chad Childers of Loudwire deemed the video reminiscent of the art of Salvador Dali and called it one of, the, one of the most romantic music videos. Uh, he saw it as depicting a romance between Wozniak and the spider. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> These guys are fucked up. We're all stretching here. <laughs> it, peaked, it peaked at number eight Ooh. on the Billboard Hot 100, and it spent a total oh. of 28 weeks on the charts. Um, it... It's pretty fucking good. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. For such a weird song. It did hit number one on the Modern Rock song chart, and it stayed there for 18 weeks at number one. That checks out. That totally checks out. It's all they would fucking play on 105.7 VX in central Pennsylvania. <laughs> it was a record at the time, 18 weeks number one. It is no longer a record. Do you know what song beat this one? Mo- on Modern Rock? Third Eye Blonde. Good guess. Am I dating myself? I might be in the wrong year. Well, a little bit. Let me give you a clue. Between both of you, the band that beat the song is uh, of one of your nationalities, and if it was American, this wouldn't be an interesting clue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's Nickelback. I was going to say. I was was going to ask They had so many hits. They continue to have oh, hits. Oh, huge. I mean, hit fucking machine. But how you remind me would dethrone this song. Um, speaking of Canada, Sex and Candy would peak at number two on the Canadian RPM top singles chart. They could not dethrone Torn by Natalie and Oh, Brulia. I mean, <laughs> I get it. It's well, it's Good interesting, luck. though. That song's it, a ripper. Because... 100%. But I don't see Torn at the same exact time. I don't see Torn on oh. the Billboard Hot 100. So I'm slightly confused on what's happening. Uh, they, um, they might have sent that song to Canada first. Perhaps. Yeah. Because she's Australian. So it was a oh, huge hit yeah. there. So their international plan might have been kind of piecemeal. <clears throat> Yeah, let's go to Canada to build a market. Right? Well, I mean... (laughs) The cities are really close together. It'll work great. (laughs) There's so many people. (laughs) (laughs) So, this song, Sex and Candy, uh, like I said, peaked number eight on April 18th, 1998. Right behind the number nine song, which was Gone Till November by Uh, Wyclef John, which I fucking... What a jam. Great song. And... Number 10, My Heart Will Go oh. On by Celine Dion. Oh, that's my upper now. That, up. More Canadian. No, it would have been down, 98. Yeah. It's heading down. Yeah. But here's the thing. I looked I looked up the song real quick because I was like, because we will never cover My Heart Will Go On because it's <laughs> one of the greatest songs of all time. It's a huge hit for an obvious yes. reason. It spent two weeks in number what? one. This is a time when... Songs would regularly spend 16 weeks number one. Then two weeks number one. Pretty ballady, I guess. I'm blown away by uh, it. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, I do, do. I do. I agree. It's a great. I would have. To add some more like 
30 weeks. To add some more context, it sold more than 18 million copies worldwide, and it was the world's best-selling single of 98. I don't get it. It must. It probably spent 14 months at number two, both both ends, but for some reason, I don't get it. But that's an aside. Uh, the number you know one what, song. Do you know what dethroned it? Not, I, I, could, I could find out, but I didn't know. Uh, the number one song at the time when Sex and Candy peaked at number eight was Casey and JoJo's mm. All My All My Life, which I, I mean, fucking love. That's, that's a great song. Jam. A, jam. Yeah, Hard a, jam. Number two. Massive song. Massive song. Number two. Let's Ride by Montel Jordan. Featuring Master P and Suck the Sugar. Shocker. Yep. Number three. Too Close by Next, which is a great song. One we will discuss. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a Maybe. strange I don't know. song. It's, it's that is song. a, it's a good weird song. song. Yeah, it's good, though. It's good. It's good. It's, we've covered lots of good songs. <laughs> One, uh, here, number four, a secret song. If we do this podcast for like seven years and we're like, what the fuck <laughs> can we talk about next? We should talk about number four, Frozen by Madonna. Oh, Madonna, yeah. huge. Frozen, a weird ass song. But kind of yeah. cool. So weird. She has a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I kind of love yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. That is yeah. a weird song. Got a couple sleeper hits. Yeah. Number number five, a song we will never talk about. Uh, Truly, madly, deeply by Savage Garden. Yeah. Banger. Oh, but it's still a banger. <laughs> no. Oh. My fucking my fucking girlfriend loves Savage Garden, and I just I can't. I, mean, I know it's it's such a goofy song, but like you know why it's a hit. You loves? know why it's a hit. I say, do. I absolutely exactly, do. I could never exactly, anything. Exactly. Like Did you say loves never. or loved? Like is this, this is a current Savage Garden? Oh is my yeah, shit. no, no. She'll stand up for them. She'd probably take them over. Wow. Me. Wow. Okay. I mean, the Savage enough. Garden is to your girlfriend as Guster is to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. I guess so. <laughs> okay. Uh, number seven, Nice and Slow by Usher. I mean, a lot of R&B happening at this point. Uh, very and, much so. Yeah. And Usher, but, like that My Way album, like every song was a top 10 hit. So Sex and Candy is uh, featured on the soundtrack for Hurricane Streets, which I'm not familiar with. And Zach and Mary make a, a porno. Film? Yeah. Two films. I know, I know Zach, Zach and Mary make a porno. porno. It was also featured in an episode of True Blood, which is an okay. HBO show, if you guys weren't familiar. Yep. Hi, I'm Hoyt. I remember the scene. <laughs> Jessica. Uh, so this might sound kind of funny, but I was just sitting there thinking, how come you don't ever meet a nice girl, Hoyt? And then you just walked right in. How do you know I'm a nice girl? Because of your smile. Shildoko Pace, though, yes. said that this episode's use of the song was one of the show's uh, best musical moments. I watch people. We gotta love that. So this goes back to what I said earlier about the, the licensing. There were apparently some other commercial licensing moments, and I read that the band turned down deals from Eminem and Coca-Cola. Eminem which, the rapper? No, M M&M and M the chocolate, Coca Cola soft drink. I have no. It wasn't plural, so forgive me. How how would these brands use sex and candy in their advertising? I could see if it was like Dove, because Dove's like kind of kind of sensual candy. I could see sex and candy <laughs> making sense for M and M's 
in like a funny way. <laughs> you know, like their commercials are just like drizzling chocolate and like waves <laughs> of chocolate. Oh, the purple wrapper. Use that now. <laughs> How do you describe death? It's like just soft. <laughs> Sexy. Like, <laughs> so good. But how the fuck would Eminem's use this song? Well, like, when did the green Eminem come on the scene? Because she she was controversial. She was stacked. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. And then they made those cartoons. They were kind of yeah. They were charged. Yeah, they were, they were charged. <laughs> it's a little weird, really. But I can All see right. it. That actually that comes around. Okay, I can see it. Uh, Jimmy Fallon. Parried the song. Parodied the song. Born weekend update. It was Halloween medley, right? Yeah. So he was doing like a. He's too old to trick or treat. He was gonna go Halloween Carol. Uh, I will send you this one. Actually, the whole skit is pretty great. It's it's uh. Say what you will about Jimmy Fallon. It's pretty funny. He's got some choice bits. I'm I'm a big fan of his Neil Young impersonation. Yes, dead on. But when he does the Alanis part in this one, it's yeah. so yep. good. That's probably my favorite. This one, because that song good. was huge at that time. Of course, we we do have our friend Alfred Matthew Yankovic, oh. Weird Al. He does not do a parody of this song. However, could have sworn is, he did. Well, it is a part of his polka power uh, medley. Yes. It's not a parody, but. 10 out of 10, no notes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, there is no kids' corner in this episode. We like Mary Al, did, you, did you run into a kids' corner on any of our episodes? No, I didn't. If, if, we, ever, if we ever have a kids' bop version or like a Smurfs version or Kids Incorporated <laughs> or Mickey Mouse Club where they did the song, we'll play it. Um, but some of the songs... I don't think don't what, what, what are you going to do it? here? Uh, Although I sometimes smell... they change the lyrics, but that would really uh, change. I smell a lot. six. Six? And oh, it could be like a, a counting thing. Yeah. Could sure. be. So, yeah, there are some notable covers, though. Most notably. Are there? Uh, oh, there are. Well, yes. Most notably from Maroon 5, which oh. I. As... Oh. <laughs> Mariel's <Sorry>. face. <laughs> But whether you like them or not, why did they cover? Not not only cover, they put they put Sex and Candy on an album. No way. Why? No. I, I bet way. because it was such a nice break from his register. Did he Yo, sing it like exactly oh, yeah, right. like Marshall Playground? I bet they were like, "You can't be so shrill on this album, Adam. We love you, but <laughs> we need an album. Dogs can't." I'm hear. a little tired. Well, well, do we have a song for you? <laughs> this. I read a couple of like reviews about the song, and that was kind of the review was like, we love the song because it's almost like a little different than what Maroon 5 feels like they have to what be. Do do? But still, Maybe just write of, of all the fucking songs, why would you, why, why this one? There are a lot of baritone songs to sing. I don't, I don't, I don't get why they chose this one. Of all the songs to put on an album. I think, uh, Bustle, you know, online publication, said mm-hmm. Orn V, which is the name of the album, is a cover of Marcy Playground's 1997 hit Sex and Candy that stands out amongst the rest of the album. I never would have guessed Maroon 5 
would be the right band to resurrect the one-hit wonder, but they sure did it in a very, very slick way. So, uh, yeah. However, however, let me point out another song that we've talked about in this show before. Uh, this article, entitled The Best and Worst Remake of One-Hit Wonders, they put Goldfinger's version of 99 Loof Balloons on the worst list. So I do not what? give any credit to this Come article. On. Fuck it. Horseshit. Yeah. Uh, not there's also a cover, for some reason, by Everlast, which oh. happens to be on, or at least well, I found it, on the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> Oh, However, no. listen Just to it. <laughs> listen it to it a little bit. I, he performed listen, it. On listen to what? it a little bit. Listen to it a little bit. Actually, I don't mind oh. this version. It's not bad. So that's what like. Oh yeah. He's old here, right? I don't He still kind of looks like how he did in the jump around video, he though. This is worse than the Maroon 5 version. Okay. All right. Don't spend too much time with it, though. There is a another okay. version I really do, I really actually kind of love. It's by, uh, I was not familiar with this band, but Slothrust. Dude, Slothrust okay. rules. Great band. Okay. Yep. Not familiar. Yep. Listen to this cover. Slothrust is... ball cap. No shit. Yeah. I fucking love this cover. Dude, they're a great band. That's really cool. Like disco super fly. Yeah, like they really messed around a little bit. It's like a better song, almost but not that good, but it's cool. Yeah, yeah, this is cool. This is almost like a Jefferson airplane version of it. Oh interesting, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, it's got that same low-fi quality. Yeah, it's got it too. It's like, I really love it. Really this is better than the original. I think it is. This is really good. Oh, I spent all day this this researching great. this song, and I listened to this version many more times than much later, so. This is great. Where, where, where's our crew now? Dying I want to start with Jared. I want to start with Jared. Jared Cotler. Remember him? Lawsuit Aww, boy. Poor Jared. Poor Jared. However, I found his Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Marcy underscore kid. So he's very much still living in the reality of this band. Uh, uh, his Twitter bio reads in part. I feel worse for him now. Well, his Twitter yeah. bio reads in part, founding member of 90s one-hit wonder, Marcy Playground, and then there's a link to a Facebook group. And I click, I click that link. And the Facebook group is the entire <laughs> God, God is not great. Religion poisons everything. Ah, so he runs that page. Okay. I kind of love him. Be real. <laughs> I kind of maybe would be here with this guy. <laughs> look, look I, I I scrolled down some of his Twitter and some of his Instagram, 
And uh, while I I desire to have a podcast that uh, maybe I don't know unites both sides, and we have fans and every whatever. Um, this guy trolls Trump and fucking hates Trump. Uh, just as much as I do, so I really appreciate uh, <laughs> what Love it. what Jared is doing. Uh, and I will say, judging by his Instagram, Jared lives in Philly. He's got a beautiful wife. He seems to be living the dream. He seems to be All having right. a great time. So, Jared, um, happy where he's at. Good for you. Uh, I'm going to change my the- Twitter bio to founding member of One Hit Wonder, alt rock <laughs> band Marcy Playground. <laughs> I mean. Uh, I I feel like he's maybe still trying to like litigate. He's like, that was me. Look at the Twitter bio. Yeah, right. Uh, the rest of the playground, they would go <laughs> on to re- release a, a few more albums. The rest of the playground. <laughs> the, well, I mean, what do you want me to call? Um, the follow-up album to to Marcy Playground was called Shapeshifter, and this was a commercial failure. However. You don't say. The band, the band claims that they made more of like an art record, and they didn't want to make a hit record. Um, they also that's what you say after the record. record wasn't a hit, right? But well, they also re- they released the record on the same day that there were le- releases from Alanis Morissette, Third Eye Blind, Metallica, Beastie Boys, and Dave Matthews Band. So like. If you're like a, a a mediocre alt rock band, like no. <laughs> like, uh, also, interestingly enough, the album art for the album Shapeshifters. Let me send it to you guys here. Oh, I'm sure this will be delightful. <laughs> no, it, it is cool, okay. and I'll tell you why. Oh, some more um, <laughs> No, oh. the album art. Now hold up. This, this caused a stir. I've because, seen this before. Well, here's the thing. Uh, when this album came out, Paul Leary of the Butthole Surfers okay. re- revealed on Marcy Playground's website forum that the cover art was a painting by Mark Ryden, which was originally conceptualized and commissioned by the Butthole Surfers what? for their album that was a, 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 never came out called After the Astronaut. Leary's outrage was eased once he learned that Capitol Records, which was the home of Butthole mm-hmm. Surfers and the home of Marcy Playground, had pitched the artwork to Wozniak as an original work from its own art department, and Marcy Playground had no knowledge of the work's origin. That's slimy as hell. Slimy as hell, Capitol. Gross. Damn. So, fed up with the expectation put upon them because of candy. The guys asked to be dropped from Capitol. Wozniak at one point said, well, apparently. Wozniak asked, uh, I I would never want another Sex and Candy. I don't mind having a hit, but Sex and Candy was too much for anybody, especially a first hit. Damn. So at this time, after the second album, Riser, Dan Riser, the drummer, began playing with Nora Jones. Keith, the bassist, would go on to get a job with National Public Radio. Damn. And Wozniak bought the legendary Mushroom Recording Studio uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and filled it with vintage recording equipment. The band would come back often to tour, uh, and they started touring with, because Riser was off North Jones, they started touring with 
Shlomi Levy, who I mentioned before. He joined the drummer. Uh, he, I guess, was friends with all them from... He was playing in the band Sponge at the time. Oh, yeah. Sponge is great. And I, I also read that he originally was playing in a Beatles cover band in Israel. And I think from reading that he... His first run of shows with Marcy Playground was on a four-day carnival cruise, which is awesome. Because, like, you know, you're going to join a band, and, and you know it's like some weird 90s, like, 90s cruise. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Service-themed, yeah. drugs everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the third album... Now, the third album was entitled MP3, which originally I was like, Oh, Fuck. it's Marcy Playground 3 third album exactly oh, exactly look at that album cover there at the time exactly <laughs> I, just, I just sent you the cover art and that's exactly what they're referencing got it love that yeah this looks like uh, every band yeah it really uh, does in, in these, <laughs> every band. i was like oh it's the tea party <laughs> oh I, well i i should actually uh let me, let me they should have named it as an nirvana underscore sex and candy dot mp3 <laughs> <laughs> At LimeWire.net. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I only mention the album because Mike knows I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. The album's first single, Deadly Handsome Man, was a song featured in JM Silent Bob Strike Back. Whoa. Which, well, that's a hit. Uh, and, and years earlier, it was under the title The Devil's Song. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if you're a, a big Kevin Smith fan, but I like a lot of Kevin Smith. I'm I'm really enjoying his uh, his foray into horror right now. His very Canadian themed horror mm-hmm. stuff is super fun. Seen any of it's pretty. It's pretty darn good. That Tusk one was definitely worth a lot. Oh, great. if you're into that sort of stuff, that's a great, it's a good song. It sounds cool. Like this this is a decent song. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of good. They do have. Um, and even Sex and Candy is this way. A little bit. Their songs are just kind of like, there's not a lot of dynamics. It's just. But they go. Kinda, like, even if they're slow, they're still pushing a little bit. It's like. Yeah. They're, it's like car music, you know? Like, it's, it's like something. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> some of them, including the two follow up singles, are just so fucking. There's just nothing there. Nothing there. But some of them are good. I hear. Theo is the one, the one A&R exec at Capitol is like, guys, there's nothing here like this. <laughs> this is <Bullshit>. terrible. <laughs> Why are we signing I mean, them? And for the first two times they put the song out, they're like, he was right. He's right about this. <laughs> and then Sex and Candy comes out and you're fired. You're coming out of the hallway with a box. They just, they just strike me as a band. Just, they just caught lightning in a bottle with that yeah, one song. Absolutely. And everything else is Fine. A weird song that makes no sense and is yeah. a strange topic. And again, can't believe it was played on pop radio. Well, at that time, here we are, or ever. Um, other than that, they are still touring, as I mentioned. They look like to do like festival type gigs and those great like '90s tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wozniak, our boy, currently lives in Canada with his wife and four sons. And speaking of Canada, John at one point collaborated with Daniel Powder. And I personally fucking hate his his mega hit Bad Day. But, oh, that's oh. Blows. Oh. Yeah. Uh. 
But you know, he, he is music a, made for a, commercials. A notable Canadian. Oh, it's got that exactly. shrill vocal thing too. God. Uh, Shlomi, my boy Shlomi is uh, still in the band, still tours, obviously the drummer. Uh, he is also making some fucking weird ass. <laughs> I will send it to you. He goes by the stage name Van Goose. What enjoy, is happening here? Oh. Enjoy that. Oh. You know what? He looks like he's having a great time. Drugs are cool, man. Good for him. <laughs> right, drugs are cool. Oh, uh, Dylan, o- Dylan, Dylan Keith. Not, not Dylan O'Keefe. Dylan Keith. How many people are in this band? There's three of them. I just, yeah, well, there's like people in and out. Uh, Dylan Keith. It's still working at NPR uh, while also touring with the band here and there. His Wikipedia under the Today section, uh, it ends with, he now serves as the technical director of Radiolab. What? He is currently, hold on, he is currently busy touring the continent, rocking crowds with the band that gained him his stardom, as well as drawing and painting. Which to me means that he clearly wrote that himself. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that Dylan wrote that himself. Well, good for him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, at the end of the day, we like to answer the question: Why is this a hit? And uh, t- to me, it is an odd crossover. I mean, it was a crossover. But it's odd given the name, of course. But I really think it's at the end of the day, it's a well constructed song. Like the guitar riff in the chorus is fucking great. It's catchy. And the guitar part's catchy. It just it, it helps it like helps everything like stick in your head. Like it, the the way that it, like the lyric kind of beats into your head. And I think his vocals are very ubiquitous nineties, but unique enough where you're like there's something like about it that, that captures your attention. Well, they packaged and... it so softly, like that for that AC kind of vibe. Like it was mm-hmm. just the first thing to kind of have that nice, you know, yeah. like it's like, oh, it's like Nirvana, but it's it's not. It's gentle. <laughs> True. It's for nice, nice white people. That's what it That's was. a good point, though. Yeah. This is like yeah. Kurt Cobain, but he's not screaming. Oh, thank goodness mm-hmm. he sobered up. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go back to our boy. Jonah Bayer of AV Club. Because I think he encapsulates the song well. And he says, There is something powerful in the simplicity and the straightforwardness of the song. The chorus still sounds as captivating and strangely sensual as it did years ago. I think it's kind of true. Like you hear the song now, and I think there is so much nostalgia that I bring to the song. But even outside of that, there's a little bit of you that's like, well, some something about the song, like it captures you. It might, and it's not lyrical necessarily. It's just like it's the feeling behind it for some odd reason. It it did feel very cool. Yeah, yeah. Which is maybe still the appeal now. It's just that when you listen to it, you're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. Hey, so cool. big big credit to the producer, whoever he was. We'll never know. <laughs> Because I can't find <laughs> in the liner notes. No liner. I don't see the producer. Well, because name. <laughs> the producer was that guy's cousin, apparently. Oh, wasn't some, even some there. guy's cousin. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But the, the the manager creature told me that doesn't matter. So, man, here we are. I remember kids in my school like just singing this in the hallway, like just 
because they thought it was cool. It's catchy. And they heard it on the on the way to school. Yeah. So many times I read I read quotes. They were like, "We didn't want to be popular, so we made an unpopular record next." And it's like, maybe that's hearsay. Maybe that's like uh, revisionist history. But I don't know. I think they they are like a weird. They struggle with the quote unquote stardom of all this. A lot of those weird folks that got a hit dealt with that, which makes sense because they made weird songs because they're weird and being weird amongst all the popular kids probably sucks. Yeah. And having to like do press and all that shit when you're dealing with your own demons and everything like. Yeah. And if it comes at you too fast and you're not like caught up on that, it'd be tough. Tough to keep that being sustainable for sure. Well, our goal here today is uh, to make your life tough, Muriel. So we are... Uh, <laughs> Done. Uh, we want... You have a new record out, and we want to make sure that we direct everyone to listen to your record. How do they find you? How do they find your record? Tell us about your what, what's happening in your life so that we can bring all of our fans to you. But you're fucking, your music's fucking dope, so I want people to, Thanks, to hear about Ted. it. Ted Theo. Yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Uh, I know. Uh, my name. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's uh, it's all over everywhere. It's just a new record just came out everywhere I used to be. It's on all the streaming services, and we got vinyl coming in. We got CDs hitting the web store, and I'll be touring like a motherfucker for the next like two or three years. So I cannot believe that CDs are back. Uh, man, for like the country people, I don't know if they ever left. No, people they buy did. them still. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's that, fair. That Put them in their trucks. The oh yeah, the uh, the quote. It's a good investment. They're cheap to make now. The Roots Music crowd, they, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I love the record. Uh, I've been listening to it. Uh, some serious jams on there. Neon Blue and Everywhere I Used to Be are probably my two favorites. But Thanks, it's a it's a great record. Um, will you be touring everywhere? Where 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 are you everywhere? Going? Where we'll be you? in the states in the spring and fall. But for now, coming up, it's like uh, September. I'm on tour in Europe and the UK. October I'm in Canada, November I'm back in Sweden, and then and then we'll be down south uh, in 2023. Right on. Well, Mariel, thanks for being along with this ride. Uh, this is fun. We uh, I know it's I know it's a long. In terms of your interviews, it's probably on the longer side, but hopefully you felt like we were just hanging out and having a good time. So this was really fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay. Great. I like this concept so much. Good. Hope so. I hope we picked a good song. I oh, it's great, and I'm a oh. fan now, so I'll listen to all the rest of them. She was rocking out yeah. as soon as that song came on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.